Hello and welcome to the Manchester Uzbek podcast. My name is Stephen Yostin and I am your host today on this sweltering Manchester afternoon. I am joined by my colleagues Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. Samuel, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you Stephen. Good to have you back on. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here in Tyrone. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you, Stephen. Good. Not long back from a lovely, relaxing week in France where they've never even heard of Marco Anatovic in, in deepest rural Dordogne. <laughs> I bet that was a relief for the entire if they've not heard of him. Um, there's plenty of stuff to jump into today, but as I've just said before we've started recording, we'll probably start with the transfer news. It kind of makes sense to start there. Samuel, John Murta, he's been jetting off. Time might have been in the south of France, but Murta has been in Turin in Italy. And he's been pictured, obviously, going across for talks to sign Rabiot from Juventus. I just kind of wanted to ask you, really, to start with, what's the latest on that deal? And I think the question that everyone is asking is, will he actually improve United? He's a better midfielder than Scott McTominay, talent-wise. So I, I think he would. I, I can understand why a lot of United fans have a downer on him, um, because he's, well... He's a bit of an enfant terrible. He, there were a lot of controversies he encountered or was involved in at PSG. Uh, he was exiled from the France squad for a period of time under Didier Deschamps, but he has since been reintegrated into the France squad. On his day, he's he's a terrific talent and he's played at the highest level in, in Italy and France. So his his CV actually reads quite well, but there's there's more baggage than a Kardashian that comes with him and it's going to take quite tactful man management to maximise his skill set and obviously make him an influential midfielder at United. The the circumstances are troubling, but I was told that the the fee was actually agreed on Saturday. So he'd been on the cards for a while. Uh, It had just been kept under wraps until Monday when the first story came out. And then fortunately for for myself, I I got it set up quite quickly that, that a fee had actually been agreed, even though it had been agreed two days earlier. Now we're in this process, as I said at the time, or cautioned at the time, United were going to have to negotiate with his mother, who, uh, Veronique, who is a battle axe, confronting Laurent Blanc in a car park and um, confronting the Pogbas when when France went out of the European Championship last year, allegedly as well, because Pogba didn't keep the ball or something like that. So with, with some... Some United supporters, they, they might get on well with her, given what her, her views or, or her purported views on on Paul Pogba. Uh, but it's it's the circumstances of it, um, the fact that it's got the traction the day after a pretty morale-shattering um, defeat to, to Brighton, the fact that the De Jong pursuit is nearing the 100-day mark. It's it's, I mean, the, we've not even discussed Arnautovic yet. Um, we we don't have too much as well. I mean, they've with, they obviously withdrew from that move on Tuesday, I believe it was. But again, this this season, it's just been sorry. This week, it's it's been open season, and it's not a coincidence that United are looking at players left, right, and centre because time is of the essence. They're into the last three re- weeks of the window. They've not actually signed a player for four weeks now. I think the Martinez announcement to the Amsterdam Stock Exchange was four weeks on on this coming Monday. So they've gone a long time without signing anyone in a transfer window, having brought three players in when their two priority positions are still still unfilled. So it's, I mean, you you can't overstate enough how much of of, of a shambles this window has been so far. 
And there are a lot of things to that you could spend time um, going on about. And in the case of Rabio, I, I think by and large that's that's relatively inoffensive compared to the to the Arnautovic move. I mean, I spoke to Simon Peach this morning, who's just come back from a, a jolly in, in the United States watching the MLS All Stars. Uh, but obviously, he he interviewed Javier Hernandez out there. And you could imagine someone at United looking at that and thinking, you know, he's, 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 is he worth the go? You know, if, if, if we're going to take Arnautovic, we'll, we'll take anyone. Um, they've they've dropped the bar so low, it's almost impossible to get any lower than him. And this is the one of the issues United have now in the transfer window, that they can be linked with any Tom, Dick and Harry. And if there's no substance to a spurious report, people will think there is substance to it because they've lowered the bar um, with, with the Arnautovic bid that they put in last week before they had to, um, you know, retro, you know, withdraw with their, with their tails between their legs. So ultimately they've, they've not signed, they've not signed anyone still. They've still not signed a midfielder. And here we are, as I said, having entered the last three weeks of the transfer window and they could very well be Fred and McTominay at Brentford. I don't think it will be after how disastrous those two performed against Brighton last week. But that midfield, whoever they play there, it's there's a gaping hole there ready for Brentford to exploit. Ty, we're not sugarcoat on this, really, because it has become quite a bit of a circus, hasn't it, really, this transfer window? Obviously, we've laughed about uh, Dijon a few times in this podcast, but it is becoming quite the farce. And then the Anoutovic and then Rabiot. And it does kind of have that desperation feel about it, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it does. It's just it's just comical, isn't it, the way it, it's fallen apart, considering it seemed so positive early on. It seemed so clear what they wanted. And now it's just it's total chaos. Um, what sort of midfielder do they want? Is Rabiot... Well, I mean, Rabiot, of, of those players you mentioned, or those players that have been mentioned this week, Rabiot is, is probably the best player. I'm not sure. He's a very multifunctional player, which is a word United have used a lot this year. I'm not sure there's a clear... I wouldn't consider him a particular holding midfielder. I think he's... I wouldn't see Rabiot and Fred, for example, playing in the same midfield necessarily. I think they're they're pretty similar. Um, so he has to the strength in depth, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on the idea that he he comes in and really improves that first 11. Because if they sign De Jong, which at this point I'm guessing is looking less likely... Where where does he fit in? Still question. Um, and yeah, it is it is it is looking at it, it is reflective of, of chaos now and, and pure panic. They seem to have set on this idea now of needing a physical presence at centre forward. The Arnautovic thing is just laughable to me. I mean, that is just embarrassing that they ever thought that was a good idea. I do not understand what John Murray is doing this summer, apart from just nodding to everything Ten Hag suggests. Ten Hag has worked with Arnautovic, but at that point. As football director, John Murtis should be saying, the guy's got a checkered past. He's been done for racism before within the game. Not only that, which is enough to put, which should be putting United off no matter what the standard of player he is. He's 33, plays for Bologna and has spent two years in China and has played for Stoke and West Ham in the Premier League. No other top-half team in the Premier League last year would look at him. Arguably, no other Premier League team would look at him. And here United trying to sign him. It's just comical. It really is ridiculous. Um, and, it, you know, it... It does make you wonder. I'm sure we'll come on to it, Samuel's story about Ziyech this morning. It's another Ajax old boy that Ten Hag knows. Have they got nothing else to offer? Have they really got nothing else to offer beyond that? It is becoming 
it is becoming embarrassing and you do fear for them in the last three weeks of this window because it does feel like it is just it is just panic stations at the moment in terms of of trying to strengthen that squad by any any which way they can. And it it doesn't feel like these players they're going for now are players that when the window opened on June the 10th or June the 11th, they'd have had a list of targets, a list of positions. There's no way Marco Anautovic was was on that list of targets at that point in the window. He just wasn't. Um, so, it you know, it does feel now like they are sort of making it up as they go along. And for a football club, that is never a good position to be in. And frankly, by now, they should have had the core of their business done. In, in reality, you know, they haven't. They've, they've improved the squad. Have they improved the team? Marginally, maybe, but not by much um, at, at this stage. And it's just, it's another window where it's not been good enough. And we're saying that far too often for United. Samuel, Ty's just mentioned John Murtler there, who was obviously appointed as United's uh, inaugural sporting director in March last year. He's now had two summers of the club. Obviously, this is his second. And he's in danger becoming kind of a Woodward-esque figure, isn't he, really? Because I remember you messaging me the other week and watching that Chris Armas uh, podcast that went viral, and you said, to be honest, he's done quite well to disassociate himself with that. Um, will he be judged on this summer, and how will United fans hold murder if, you know, things are going quite bad, if it carries on going the way it is? Because, like I say, it's become quite a farce, isn't it? They probably wish he was the sporting director, uh, he's, he's the football director, just because sporting director... Uh, evokes images of Michael Edwards and or, or his uh, successor at Liverpool being pretty slick in the market. The the Dion thing has, I mean, it's, it's so much worse than than the Fabregas ordeal nine years ago, unless they sign him. Which the way it's shaping up at the moment, it, it's it's just not not looking likely. Um, I mean, that people at the club were talking about it being in the balance last week. I think the balance is now against them after that Brighton debacle and. There's, there's been a bit more um, more development with Barcelona and their financial levers and how they're somehow you know finding ways to sign all these players spending uh, hundreds of, of millions it feels like and um, not not facing any ramifications and also you know we've, we've spoken about ad nauseum but the guy just does not want to play for Man United I think if he absolutely has to he will do but He's he's done a very good job of resisting it so far for the whole summer. And people will talk about John Murta. Ten Hag is complicit in this. He is the driving force behind the De Jong pursuit. There are people at United who can't quite get their head around why they haven't walked away from De Jong. Um, they saw it coming a mile off that this just was not worth the time that they were dedicating uh, to it, that they were expending on it. And the fact that the football director and the chief executive were were pictured in Barcelona, it does make it worse. Uh, it evokes images, sorry, memories of Ed Woodward leaving Australia on urgent transfer business in 2013 to try and sign Cesc Fabregas. It is, it's amateur hour again. Um, as, as Ty said, there's no way of sugarcoating it. Again, Simon Peach, he told me that he got off his flight and he read on his phone, uh, Manchester United nil, Brighton 2 and Manchester United have bid for Marco Arnautovic. Like, he, he didn't know what parallel university he'd entered at that point, but um, the, the first part was certainly believable. And the second part, as, as, as a fan asked me, walking up to his seat um, at Old Trafford last week, he said, I'll now switch. Is it true? And I just said, for United's sake, I hope not. And he laughed and crossed his fingers. Unfortunately for him, it was true. And it's some some going from Man United now that the only shred of good news they have had this week is that they're not signing Marco Arnautovic. And the club won't confirm it, but 
you know, power to the supporters who contacted Richard Arnold and um, expressed their their considered outrage at United, even bidding for Arnautovic. It was embarrassing on just about every level you you could possibly imagine. I think we covered it quite a bit in detail on on, on Monday's podcast. I, I thought it was just the most the, the biggest insult of of the Glazer era, quite possibly. And as far as Murta is concerned, look, he he appointed he he appointed Ten Hag, um, he appointed Rangnick. Although Ralph Rangnick is extremely popular at the moment because he's he's no longer attached to Manchester United, and it seems like his uh, rather excoriating analysis of them last season seems to go viral whenever there's a crisis brewing or they're not a day goes by where they've not signed a player but Rat Rangnick was was not a good manager that that was that was a disaster that that tenure and this is the first summer window where Murta has really properly been in charge because Woodward's not on the scene it has been a, a four out of ten at best transfer window so far um there's there's no way of saying that it's a positive window and, and in fairness to people at United they are not busying themselves trying to portray what's going on at the moment as remotely positive they're, they're just having to um, take their medicine and, and accept it and they knew it would have been coming after last week's game but as I said when when not signing Marco Arnautovic is is the positive news story of of United's week you you know how far and how steeply they've fallen. Ty, I think I already know your answer to this, to be honest, but you're surprised that the transfer window is developing in such fashion because you've just mentioned Samuels lying obviously on Ziyech and then Timo Werner, who's returned to Leipzig and United's 11th hour kind of efforts to sign those players. But it's just given such an amateur impression, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, I probably am surprised because it did feel at the start of the window like they had their ducks in a row. They knew what they wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I think I, I I probably am surprised. And at the start of the window, you know, I mean, maybe John Murphy will turn it, turn it around still, but at the start of the window, it felt like he, he not necessarily had credit in the bank because if, if, if he presides over a disastrous window, let's not forget he was also the person that recommended the appointment of Ralph Ranick, which he, he avoids criticism and attention for because the fans loved Ranick. But on a footballing level, that was a disaster as well. So he he should be feeling the pressure at the moment, but it did feel at the start of the window like they they had their ducks in a row. They knew what Ten Hag wanted. They knew De Jong was the key signing. They knew sort of roughly the the figures involved and and things like that. And it it does feel like it's just got away from them. And it, it can happen to clubs, but clubs that are well run just accept it and move on. Have other targets. Have a clear approach. And it doesn't really feel like that is the case with United. We were always told attack, midfield and attack was the priority. There's not been an attacking signing yet. We were told they were looking for a versatile attacker. Now it seems they're looking for a winger and a, a battering ram centre-forward. That seems to be a, a new one. I'm not sure where that's come from, but that, that seems to be the case now with Arnautovic. They've obviously been linked with this this tall, other, the other tall Austrian Stuttgart, uh, Kalajic, I think his name is. And it, it does... It, it feels like they're not entirely clear what profile of player they want, who they want. It's verging now on the just, we need we need numbers in. And I think it, like you say, I, I may be a little surprised because, may, I mean, maybe I had too much faith in them in the start of the window, but it did feel like they knew what they wanted and, and knew how to go about getting it. You can argue they've been a little bit unlucky with the De Jong situation, but 
maybe they should have set their own deadline on that. They've allowed it to drag on. The deferred wages is is, is problematic, I think, for for a buying club, but it's probably made more problematic by De Jong's intransience that he doesn't really want to come and was going to drag it out before making a decision. And by by, by if United stay in this race until the bitter end and then he goes to Chelsea, it's going to look incredibly embarrassing for, for Manchester United that they've basically wasted 13, 14 weeks, 15 weeks, whatever it will be at that point, and then just seen Chelsea swoop in and, and take and take the player. When at that point it's going to be pretty obvious that he's always had cold feet about joining United, and they've made no attempt to to move on. And I mean, Ten Hag said in in Australia that he'd just mould a player from the squad into that role if they didn't get De Jong, um, which makes makes you think maybe Rabiot's earmarked for a different role or for squad depth. But if they're not going to get De Jong, that's the best part of seventy million pound, which can be put into other areas of the squad, can be put into signing a forward. But if that's the case, they need to they need to reallocate those funds now. It feels like they're at the point where they need to make a decision. And as Samuel said, the the wheel is turning against them with De Jong. It feels it feels now like it would be a major surprise if he did end up at United. And for United's sake, they almost need to make a decision themselves and just say, "This has gone on too long. We're out. We can spend that money better elsewhere to to strengthen this squad." Rather than just wait until De Jong makes a decision in two weeks' time, and then you've got. 70 million quid burning a hole in your budget and you're trying to sign Hulk or something flipping ridiculous. So, um, you know, it's it's probably for the best that they, they make a decision and try and do it on their own terms. Do you think they just put names in Google and a random generator and see who comes up and who would see the shock it's fans most? Felt a bit, it's felt a bit, wet, a bit like that this week. I mean, it does feel like this week is the week it's gone off the rails, doesn't it? Even until last so, week, they were, yeah. they were, you know, they were, they, 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 the, the young thing was an issue. But this week after Brighton, it does feel like like panic stations have set in a bit. And it's a shame because Ten Hag's appointment brought some good feeling during the summer. It felt like progress was being made in pre-season and that kind of feels redundant already, doesn't it? Which is which is a real shame. We've only had a week. Um, Samuel, if I ask you about Rashford then, obviously you wrote the line this morning about PSG's interest and there might be a feeling that uh, kind of the interest is getting stirred up by his brother to kind of work in Rashford's favour and contract negotiations. Can you kind of uh, inform the listeners then a bit about that deal and obviously... Ten Hag uh, this afternoon insisted that Rashford's in his plans, didn't he? The the one who emerges uh, from this with their reputation um, damaged is Rashford's brother, Dwayne Maynard. Uh, he arranged this meeting with PSG last week, and his his brother Marcus Rashford has had told people at United that his preference was to stay. There was that wobble in March, which again not difficult to um, uh, determine where it came from, that story about Rashford considering his future after he was benched against City with Ronaldo, Cavani, Martial and, and Greenwood all unavailable for that game. But since then, any talk of him leaving has has really significantly subsided. And then this story came out from L'Equipe last night. Uh, first of all, the story... I always looked at it and thought it's a bit of a non-story that, but because it's Rashford, there's always going to be national interest in it. And Lakeep cocked it up by getting the contract wrong. Yes, he's out of contract next year, but he's got a plus one option and United are not going to not trigger that extension. Effectively, he's tied to the club for another two years. And as, as I said, touched upon it earlier, Rashford had told people at United that, private, uh, that his, his preference was to stay. PSG have just tied down Mbappe on 
a contract where he's got more money than God. They've got Neymar, they've got Messi, they've they've still got Mauro Icardi. We're in for the last three weeks of a transfer window. Who the hell thinks that Rashford is who is at a club where they are actually lacking established forwards and are struggling to sign a forward? Who the hell thinks that that transfer is going to happen in the last three weeks of a window? Maybe the only person on earth was Dwayne Maynard, but the suspicion um, was that he just did it as a negotiation tactic because United have not started discussions with the players who technically are out of contract next year but have a plus one. So that's Rashford, Dallow, De Gea, uh, Shaw and Fred, I think. And ultimately it's, you know, it's trying to put pressure on the club, but it's so transparent, so obvious what the intention is. And also so so daft, really, when United aren't in a rush. They, they don't have to do anything here. Um, you know, this is one of those transfer stories where somehow United come out, with, come out from it with their reputation not damaged in any way, shape or form. Uh, the brother has just looked a bit amateurish the way he's gone about it because PSG, I think, just... Yeah, you know, they entertained him because they're longtime admirers of Rashford, but they've no intention of going for him. And they thought, okay, we'll we'll engage with you. And then this story obviously comes out in in Le Keep. It gets some prominence, but it's crashed and burned quite quite quickly as far as transfer stories do uh, do go in the last three weeks of a transfer window. Um, and ultimately, why the hell would United be rushing to give out a new contract to a player who has been out of form for 18 months and scored five goals last season? OK, if there's a club that would ever do that, it's United because they've got a tendency just to dole out contracts to people, to players who don't deserve it. And it's weird timing. It's, it's just happened so, so many times, most recently with Fernandez in April, where he's having his worst season for the club. He gets an undeserved and unnecessary new contract, which just extended his um, expiry date by a year. He got a pay rise, and he's been even worse since he got that contract. You wouldn't have put it past United to have just yielded immediately and, and done what they used to do under Ed Woodward. But I think they're a bit more conscious of that now, and they I'm, I'm a little bit more confident that they wouldn't do it. And you know, Ten Hag pretty much knocked it down today as well, saying that he's he's in his Rashford is in his plans. He intends uh, he, he fully expects he will he'll be staying there as well. So you know when people who are you know who matter around this situation, whether it's the club or the player, are calling it or, or, or see it as a non-story and um, think that it's you know the actual tactic from his from his brother has backfired. That, that says it all, really. Uh, he, he is the only one who has come out uh, from this with with his reputation damage. Rashford is not playing well, but um, and, and maybe he was aware of his brother going for that meeting in Paris. And if that was the case, then, you know, Ten Hag should probably give him a talking to. But it, I, I think really it's, it's the brass neck of trying to, you know, here's our opening salvo to get a pay rise for a player who... Who has just not been performing for for a very long time? You know, you've got to earn a contract. That's that's the culture, that's the cultural reset they need at United. If you want a contract, you've actually got to perform to earn it, because that hasn't been the case in the past. That leads me perfectly into my next point, then, Ty, because Rashford hasn't performed since I think December 2019, 
I think you won two Player of the Month awards. United it's a bit harsh, United. bloody hell. Well, well, at 20, the top of his late game, 20, I'd say late twenty twenty, he was still just, pretty important. Yeah, he sustained a back injury in the early twenty twenty, and obviously he was impressive in, in spells last season. But I think consistently, I wouldn't have had him as that impressive as, as that season. I, um, I think it's from, it's pretty much from it's almost like you know quite clean cut in that from the start of the twenty twenty one calendar year. There's there's very little to write home about. I, I'm struggling to think of a performance since that cutoff point um, where where he he had a game where you'd say yeah he's he's played really well today or he's he's on a good run of form. So it, it is 18 months, maybe more than 18 months. The question was Tyler, and I saw I saw a lot of debate around this online. Do you think he's still the same player? Do you think he can get back to those levels consistently? Uh, like I say, there's a lot of conversation about it at the moment. We talked in the summer that he was bound to benefit from. Ten Hag's appointments and you know, mm. some decent coaching, some tactical input. I think it's far too early. It's far too early for people to write him off. It's only been one game against Brighton, but kind of this season feels like now or never, really, doesn't it? With that kind yeah. of contract, yeah, definitely. And there is no reason why you shouldn't be able to get back to those levels. He is still only twenty-four. Um, he, he's got a, a big career in front of him. I've always thought what, one of the issues is he played. He played top ball. As, as a youngster, um, I mean, he's had the, the shoulder injury now. I think until then, he barely missed a game. I think he's, even now, I think he, in, in terms of United appearances and international appearances, I think he's well at 300 and he's only 24. Um, so I think he, there's, there's always a danger with promising youngsters. And, and he kind of came out of nowhere with that Midland game. And ever, ever after that, until that shoulder injury, he barely had another injury and he was playing pretty much constantly. He was in the Euros by the end of that summer. He's been at every international tournament. Um, he's lost his international place now, but I actually thought that shoulder injury would would do him some good. That he's in the shoulder surgery he had after the Euros, that break. He came back and looked pretty sharp in what was a, a poor team. He scored on his return against Leicester. I think he scored three in his first four or five games coming back, and then quickly fell off a cliff again. And he's he's had that break now. It didn't really work for him. There's no obvious reason why he can't get back to his best, but there also comes a point where maybe you just think he needs a change of scenery, and maybe this he he, he clearly wants to stay at United, and perhaps this is a negotiating tactic to to get a new contract. But maybe it'd be for the best for the player if he look elsewhere because it doesn't seem to be working from at United at the moment. We we did say you know I think we all said that he he should benefit from Sen Hag's coaching that he's probably lost a bit of zip from his game because he's. They all have, in a way, been neglected on the training ground with with a lack of elite level coaching. But he was he was decent in pre season without being one of the best performers. I think it was telling he was one of the few players. Well, I think one of only two players in Australia who was actually dropped from the team for for reasons other than injury. Um, I thought he did all right against in that game against Atletico Madrid, but he was he was poor last week. And that's just continued this this long spell of, of being for poor, really. And if it is a negotiating tactic to get a new contract, and it kind of follows the theme because in March there there was stories in 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 our paper and all national papers saying he was considering his future over a lack of game time. Now there's this meeting with PSG. It does kind of add up to a pattern, but the reality is a, a new contract would mean a pay rise, and he's not earned a pay rise at the moment. United should take the the. That, that the, the option in a contract is always handy to have. I think there's maybe a view amongst players that if it's if the if the option is taken, it's 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 not not a great look for the player. The player would want a 
a fresh renewal and a longer term contract. But the reality for Rashford is all he's earned is the is the option at the moment. And United should be taking that and telling him you've got six months or 12 months to prove that you actually deserve a pay rise. Because on, on current evidence, he doesn't. And I know replacing him would be tricky, but the, the, the era of giving out hefty contracts at United should, should have been over with Ed Woodward. It was a disastrous idea. And if, if Rashford tries his hand with a new contract and gets one and gets a pay rise after a spell of 18 months of, of playing poorly, it's just going to send out the same message that they're a soft touch and happy to to give out big contracts. He, he's a homegrown player. He's clearly a good footballer, but he's not been playing well for Manchester United for 18 months. And in no other industry would you get a pay rise on on that sort of um, that sort of performance. So I think United should just take the option and say, show us that you deserve to deserve to stay. Because if if Ten Hag turns the, turns this season into a success and Rashford plays as he has been doing. He probably won't be in the team at the end of the season. And at that point, the decision to sell will will probably be fairly obvious. So I think at the moment, it's, it's a case of, of take the option and, and almost use it as a challenge to Rashford to to finally find some form because there's there's no reason why he can't. But it's been a very sustained um, spell of poor form now. I was talking about Deli Ali's decline yesterday, actually, and I hope Rashford kind of doesn't end up in the same fashion. Mm-hmm. Deli Ali's only 26, and that's been staggering his last few years. Um, Samuel, if I ask you a bit about Brentford, then obviously tomorrow evening kickoff, five thirty in London, it's bound to be a sweltering day. Um, the main talking point, or one of the talking points in the press conferences, obviously was Cristiano Ronaldo and whether he would start the match. He has to start, doesn't he, Samuel? He has to. Yeah. I, I would I would have started him last week, but Ten Hag had the had the excuse of his his lack of minutes in in pre season, and I mean, okay, fair enough. He didn't he didn't start Ronaldo. I I don't think many would have agreed with that, but he didn't he didn't provide them with a presence up there. Although the the the, the, the alternatives were not ideal, of course. Whether it's Anthony Alanga, who's not scored since February, or or Rashford, uh, who Ten Hag said he contemplates playing up there, he's not scored since January. I mean, again. This is the acute issue with United's attack, and it it makes a mockery of them not not going out there and signing a goal scorer. Uh, they, they, they can't go with the Ericsson experiment again. Um, they they need a focal point up there. Of course, Brentford was where Ronaldo had a bit of a strop in in January when he was brought off at with United two 0 up in in the second half. But he's he's easily their most dependable goal scorer, and he's the best goal scorer they have, and. He's the greatest goal scorer in the game's history. I think it pretty much summarised United's the state of United. The the goal they got last week was was known goal. Um, you know, because there there aren't enough goal scorers in that side. Brushford had two terrific chances. Uh Sancho just just regressed after a really good preseason. Fernandez had shown signs of regressing towards the end of preseason, and that was apparent again in, in that performance against Brighton. So I think it would be logical to to play Ronaldo. Um, you know, I mean, the way Ten Hag spoke about him today, it was quite quite effusive. So, I think he's I, the way he spoke about him. I think it would be a surprise if Ronaldo isn't starting. If we discuss the midfield for tomorrow, Ty, I thought McTominay was poor. I think we can all agree on that against Brighton his performance. Um, as Samuel puffs his cheeks there to the mention of McTominay. I don't know if that was deliberate. Um, who would you start in midfield tomorrow? And I'm thinking myself, is it possibly Fred, Eriksen, Fernandez? And is that midfield good enough to control the game? I mean, against opposition like Brentford, which isn't saying much. 
Um, I, I mean, this will go down incredibly badly, but I think I'll be tempted to start Fred McTominay and Fernandez. I just don't think, I don't think this team at the moment is organised enough and controlled enough and good enough defensively to have a midfield of Fred, Eriksson and Fernandez. That's a that's a good midfield if you are controlling games, if you've got a defence that is good at defending one on one, a defence that is organised, a defence that is in form. But I'm not sure United are any of those at the moment. And it feels that that midfield would feel like a, a risk to me. And if it went wrong, then it, it could be problematic. Again, Brentford, are, are a, I think Ten Hag compared to today and Brentford are a similar team to Brighton in terms of they've had a manager for a very long time. They've got a good structure. They know all their jobs. Um, and if, if United played that midfield and continued to give the ball away as they do, to be as vulnerable to counter-attacks as they are, then you could see that midfield without the ball just getting completely destroyed, to be honest. Um, that would be my risk. Maybe maybe it will provide that control. Maybe it will work. These, this is why Ten Hag's paid the, the big money, and I'm not, I guess. But I, I, I feel like it would be a risk at this stage of that team's development to play that midfield. It offers an out-of-form centre-back in Maguire and a centre-back who is, on the evidence of last week, is going take time yeah. to the Premier League and get used to the physicality of the Premier League in Martinez. It offers them very little protection that midfield and I think that would be a risk. Maybe in 10 games time when you're when you're up to speed and you all know your jobs you can play in midfield like that. This stage it feels risky and, and McTominay was, was poor last week. I don't think he, he should be in the team in an ideal world. I don't think he should be in the team by the end of the window if United get their business done properly. But at the moment maybe he just adds that little bit of caution that that you might need. And he, I thought it was one of his, if not his best game last season, was actually in this fixture away at Brentford. Um, it, you know, he plays, he played very well that day and, and looked pretty sharp. Won the ball back aggressively, looked a real sort of Ralph Ranić midfielder on, on that day. I think he created he created two United's three goals in, in January in this game by winning the ball back aggressively and, and playing direct forward passes. And we don't see that anywhere near enough. And I don't think it's a regular part of his game, but it, it feels to me like maybe United will need him in his what he offers in terms of position a little bit of defensive discipline this week i'd love to see ericsson in the team but i don't know if this team's stage of development is compatible with playing ericsson fernandez in the same team at the moment i would like to add if you disagree with anything tyrone has just said <laughs> his uh, twitter handle is at time marshall man so you know send some across there. yeah <laughs> i'll kind of open this last question up to both of you then guys before we end the podcast i kind of wrote me piece of me copy in the panel for the morning this game almost feels like a must win which is an exaggeration of course it's an exaggeration after it's the second game of the season but it kind of does have that feel doesn't it Samuel doesn't want to answer uh, it, I, I wouldn't say it feels like must win for how the season goes necessarily but certainly for momentum the like I mean you mentioned it at the start there I mean, it seems it seems a different lifetime ago now that me and Samuel were in Thailand and Australia and everything felt so positive and they were playing good football and you could see real signs of momentum. With the, the two final friendlies, that Brighton game, and now this week in the transfer window, that momentum has completely gone. And essentially, it just feels like it feels like the back end of last season again. And Samuel's, um, I think Samuel put on, on Instagram yesterday that he was enjoying some time off before potentially another inquest at Brentford. And it does kind of... It does kind of feel like that. And dating back to last season, you, 
you want to try and separate them, but the defeat to Brighton was so similar to last season, and it basically feels the same season. And this is a team that have lost six of the last nine games now, and just the the confidence they developed in pre-season had gone at half-time last week. So in terms of momentum and trying to, to I was going to say keep, but not they've got any, but build some momentum under a manager, it feels like they need to win. And if they... If they lose, you do you do worry sort of where it goes from there, given they've got Liverpool at home next. Yep, I completely agree. Um, and I think we'll leave it there then, guys. Um, obviously, United, I mean, we'd be doing all a favour if they got three points tomorrow, wouldn't I think? Um, Samuel, yes. thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thank you. And thank you, Tyrone. Cheers. Thanks, Stephen. And thanks to listeners. Take care.